Hey guys, welcome to another episode of In the Trenches with Andrew Taylor. In this episode, I have the opportunity to interview a colleague and friend, Dr. Russell Hyken. Dr. Hyken earned a PhD in psychology from Capella University. He has also an educational specialist degree from Webster University, as well as an MA in counseling from St. Louis University, to name a few. He worked for about 15 years as a teacher, school counselor, psychological examiner, and school administrator. Then he went on to found educational and psychotherapy services, where he does and specializes in psychoeducational evaluations, ADHD assessments, individual and family therapy, as well as educational therapy. If you've ever done psychological testing or know someone who has or have thought about doing it, this is a great episode. We cover the basics, it's very informative, and Dr. Hyken knows his stuff. Thank you for joining and uh, enjoy the show. Okay, Russell, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, we've been talking about this for a long time. Glad we finally got it worked out. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And uh, I think we're talking about testing today. So Testing it say? is, man. Yeah. So you're a tester, but when in our, in our field, people use the language of testing. That's it. That's all we say. We're like, have they done testing? Should they do testing? Are they appropriate for testing? Um, we throw it around because we know what we're talking about. You know, we know what we're referring to. We know we don't know what we're talking about. No, I'm kidding. Um, but we we know what we're referring to, right? But but what right. is testing? What is it really? Um, you know, what does it entail? And yeah, just, let's just start really basic. You know, and even though that sounds like a basic question, it really isn't. It's it's a big question. <laughs> Spoken like you a know. true tester, right there, right? Right, right. therapist. You know, I'm processing yeah. here with you. Going, it really is a big question. <laughs> But but testing is a really valuable thing, and, and we do use the word testing quite a bit. And I find that even therapists are unsure exactly, well, what are we testing and what do we need to tell the tester? So, you know, I'm going to use some fancy words here and then I'll simplify. But for me, testing is, you know, looking at cognitive abilities, which is just a fancy word for thinking and learning and how you process information and doing psychological measures um, in our industry. And there's many different ways and reasons you would do testing even outside of our industry, but in our industry in wilderness therapy, uh, you know, any type of primary care, residential treatment centers, we're trying to get a snapshot of what our client looks like. And what I mean by that is that that thinking and learning concept that I just mentioned, like how quickly do they process information? How impaired or strong is their ability to remember what I tell them? You know, are they visual? Are they auditory? And these are all things that help therapeutically, not just with the diagnosis. But if I say to you as a therapist, Andrew, hey, listen, I just tested this kid and his processing is really, really slow. So what's that mean? Well, what I'm going to tell you is that when you ask him a question, um, you might want to like write it down so he doesn't forget it, but also know that he needs time and space to process. Um, and that sounds so basic, but a lot of a lot of therapists look at the testing and they're not really sure. Well, he processes slowly. What's that mean? What, what's that mean to me? So there's that aspect of like from a therapy process, what can you do to help the therapist? From the client uh, side of things, what we're looking at is how do we explain how their brain works to them? So let's just say you've done you know, a lot of substances, which many of our clients have done. Well, using substances impairs brain functioning. And so we can actually show that to the client, like, wow, 
you've been doing. You've been smoking a ton of weed for the last two years and look at your working memory is really poor. And six months down the road, if you're not smoking weed, we've got the research to show it to you, your working memory improves. So you can use it from that perspective. And then just to get a good, clear diagnosis, you know, lots of psychological measures, talking to the therapist, and we have a good idea of what their issues are so we can all kind of talk the same language. Makes sense? Yeah, that's a lot. Um, so for a typical testing experience, in what I've seen is you could go, you could do as many as four hours or you could spend two or three days. Like what's the minimum and maximum, you know, that this range of time and, and amplitude of what you're really trying to look at. Yeah. And, and I agree. And so I actually, when I, when I do testing, I offer what I call two levels. One is that sort of four hour level you just mentioned. And then the other one could be six. And then actually even if we're in a treatment center, not in a wilderness program, I might even do it over a day and a half and spend eight or nine hours with the client. So for four hours, we're looking to get just the basics. What's their IQ? Um, and IQ, we don't really care what their IQ is. So when I use the word IQ, that, that's a, a vague term. What we care about is how the numbers that make up the IQ play with each other. So IQ measures, depending on the test, four or five different parts of your brain and how those things interact with each other. So we would do an IQ, we would do an academic measure in that four hour testing. And we wanna do academics because, you know, well, how has this affected your learning and what do you know academically? So the IQ and academics relate to each other. Um, and then we do a variety of personality assessments to look for mood disorders, uh, social concerns, thinking difficulties, things like that. So those are pencil and paper assessments. Um, and then, you know, we interview the client to make sure that our hypotheses are on target. And that's a pretty minimal amount. Um, and that's like a traditional wilderness therapy eval. Um, to do something a little bit longer in wilderness, what I do is I add in more executive functioning and neuropsychological testing. So we start with that. I can go, wow, you know what? They really struggled with working memory. So let's tweak that out a little bit further and do maybe another test in that area. Or we look at executive functioning, which is the ability to simultaneously process simple, simple information, do two things at once, basically, you know, or maybe I'm seeing something in academics and I want to test that a little bit further. So when families are willing to engage me to do more testing, I start to pick and choose stuff versus just sort of doing that standard battery. Um, and then, you know, you start to add on different things like, you know, are we looking at a spectrum disorder? Well, do we want to, you know, how do we add that and how much time does that take? Um, I also do risk assessments. You know, that's a whole different component too. So it's really figuring out what the family needs and then catering your testing to the family and client needs. You know, I, I, I put myself in the shoes of a family who maybe have a 22 year old or an 18 year old or a 14 year old that they've lived with their whole lives and they're going, what's going on? Like, what's with this behavior? And the fact that you can sit down in four, six, eight hours or a day and a half and say, bam, here's, here's a mood disorder. This is like really happening right now. Um, or, you know, come up with these diagnoses fascinates me to, to no end. Um, yeah. What, it's cool. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, what we do is pretty cool, I think. Um, and what I like about what we do is that, you know, so I have been a therapist and still occasionally take on some therapy clients, but that's not my main thing to do anymore. I could spend eight, 10 sessions with you as a therapist and we can have some insights, but can I give you concrete data that supports that insight? And so I really like that data because once we have the data, we can work mm -hmm. on changing it. Yeah. 
So can I ask, for example, in borderline or bipolar or, you know, schizophrenia or anything like that, what, what kinds of questions are you asking or what kinds of methods are you using to determine that? Can I ask? Or is that kind of part of the, uh, you know, it's a secret, man. Is it, right. <laughs> I mean, it's a silly question. I'm, I'm, I'm stopping myself before even asking it, but it feels kind of like this, like magic, you know, sort of secret thing where you walk out and you're like, got it, nailed it. Can't yeah, tell you how it, we yeah. got there. But you know, not that anybody yeah. has told me they can't tell me. I've just never asked. Right. I wish it were a secret because then I could like, you know, <laughs> really monetize that. Right. So, but, uh, no, you know, it's for me. And I think it's the same for all touches. The first thing is, is just about spending time with the client. You know, um, if somebody is, you know, thought disordered um, and you start talking to them. And, I, and this was one of my more favorite examples. And I had a client that told me that he could communicate with birds. And I'm like, OK, well, that sounds a little odd. Um, so tell me about that. Like, do you talk? He's like, no, I can't talk to birds, but I can communicate with them. They know what I'm thinking. I know what they're thinking. And you know, when I see a bird, I kind of have a sense of what's going on with the bird. Okay. Well, that doesn't come out when you say hello to somebody, you know, that comes out after you've spent some time with somebody and they feel really comfortable because even that client knew when he told me that it was going to be a little odd. And so for him to actually feel, so, so there's that piece of it where it's just sort of establishing the rapport and working with the client. Um, going back to cognitive testing, which is the thinking and learning piece, it's my absolute favorite thing to do. Um, there are patterns, and the patterns aren't always the same. You see areas of the brain that are stronger than others and individuals that present in certain ways. You know, the easiest one to point out is like ADHD. You know, if you have ADHD, your executive functioning is really impaired. We can measure for that specifically. When you get into things like... Um, borderline or a mood disorder, um, you start to see patterns that really come more out of experience with testing than, I mean, I'm sure there's research out there that supports all that, but you know, an anxious kid may be a super fast processor because they're nervous that speed is really important. And you can see it in their presentation when they're processing tests. So it, it's, it's all of the above. It's looking at the numbers, it's hanging out with the client, it's analyzing the data from the psych test. There's really no one one specific method that leads us to the answer. And then, Andrew, sometimes I'm just stumped. I like walk out of the testing session and go, man, my head is spinning. I don't know what's going on. Um, wow. And that's when I talk to you. And, and I always talk with the therapist, but when my head's spinning, I don't know what's going on. That treatment team approach, the nicest thing about doing testing in a treatment center is I'm not sitting in my office by myself. I'm hanging out with you guys, you yeah. know? And so... I'm going to bug your therapist, your clinical director. We may even have to have a staffing if we're all really stumped and just come to a conclusion that makes a lot of sense for all of us. And sometimes it's like, you know what? I'm not sure that they're thought disordered, but let's put that in the testing that we're not sure and pay attention to it. So three months from now, if we're still seeing those behaviors, then we know, or even yeah. three days from now. That's what I like about testing in our program or programs like ours, right? In, you know, the testers will come in we can give them a ton of data from our observations before they even meet with the client. And, you know, I guess, I guess some of our clients are really good at putting on a mask, right? They're really good at putting up a great front. And I've, I've always wondered how testers sort of account for that. Right. Um, yeah. And you know, you guys are good. You're good at it. I mean, I've seen it time and time again, where, you know, with good act, with great accuracy, you, 
you do walk out of the room and say, all right, we've got some clarity on what's going on here. A huge relief to the family, a huge relief to, you know, sometimes the client, sometimes it's tough news, right? But yeah. either way, it's, it's now we know what to work with. Right. You know, and sometimes, you know, getting the client to take that mask off metaphorically, it, it's, a, you know, we come in, you know, and we're just nice to the clients. Like there's no judgment. Um, and, and therapists don't have judgment either, but it's a 45-minute pop. But we're engaged in a specific activity. Um, and, and I'm not going to lie, bringing food to somebody in wilderness makes them a whole lot nicer. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, it's like, you got your tricks. Yes. Got some yeah, bagels and cream cheese go a long way. One of my uh, wilderness therapist friends said to me, this kid's really tough. His favorite food is birthday cake. If you bring him some birthday cake, he will probably answer whatever question you ask. <laughs> it was great advice. And, and that, your laugh is exactly what the kid, you walked in, I hand him some birthday cake, and he just started laughing. He's like, my therapist told you this, didn't she? And I'm like, yep. <laughs> yeah. And, and he thought, so, you know. yeah, so no secret there, you know. Yeah. Like, you know. It's like you're the, every the kids are like you're the bagel guys, you know. Like all the tuskers are the bagel guys because we bring bagels. <laughs> I like to bring pop tarts and be a little different. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, love, so I love a good pop tart, man. I know I'm not supposed to, but oh, I love pop tarts. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I usually buy the large box and steal one or two along the way. I'm not there gonna go. lie. So, um, but no, I think it. I think it's great. You said that. You know, the families. You know, we, we have a sense. We have a better sense when we leave. And, and remember, this is what we do. So it's not like, you know, we're coming in, we don't have a clue. I mean, I've been testing now for, I'm going to like give an insight into my age, but for 20 years, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've, I've seen, you know, I've seen some different presentations and you kind of get a sense of just, you know, when you spend that kind of time with somebody diagnostically where they're at, how they think it. And most of the times, even when you deliver really hard news, parents are relieved. You know, we've yeah. got a label, we've got a plan, mm-hmm. you know, who should get testing? <laughs> Everybody. Everybody. <laughs> that is not an exaggeration, you know, um, you know, even like, yeah. so, so we'll start with the easy ones. Like, let's just say, you know, your kid's doing great in school and like, well, should we get them tested? Well, you know, if a kid is invested in their own education and they want to know how they think and learn a good tester can, you know, you spend some time with them can provide some insight. It doesn't have to be diagnostically. It's like, you know what, you got a little crack here, some weaknesses that you could work on. This is why, you know, you find this particular concept challenging is because your brain isn't wired like that. It's rare that I get those calls. Every couple of years, I get somebody who's just interested in having their kid checked out for that reason. Um, Mm -hmm. From a treatment perspective, if you're in treatment, you're there for a reason. Um, so if it's substance abuse, you know, we know from the research decades that the substance abuse impacts brain functioning. So let's get a snapshot. If you're in for a mood disorder, and, and of course all these can be combined, but you know what? The anxious brain gets flooded with emotion and struggles with executive functioning. So let's see exactly what that looks like. You know, uh, same thing with, you know, so, so the brain functions differently based on the mental health presentation. And it does happen. Sometimes I do walk out of testing. It doesn't happen where, you know, it happens where, hey, you know what? There's really nothing out about the way this guy processes or a girl. Great. Like, that's exciting. So that tells us something, too. <laughs> you know, like if they process and, and they haven't been affected by their, their substance abuse or their mental health issue, you know, OK, we got to go a totally different direction um and look to see what's going on there that's rare so i think that if you're in treatment and you do not have testing that's current and even if you do have testing that's current when i say current within the last year 
I recommend that everybody do it. There's no, other than the costs associated with the testing, there is zero downside to it. Gotcha. The diagnosis, as you said, a lot of families are relieved. Oftentimes clients are relieved. I have seen this, and I'm sure you see it too, uh, in some of your clients. Some of these young people and older people, they they like collect diagnoses, right? They want them. They use them as a crutch, an excuse. They victimize with them. And I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that and how you – how you, I know what advice you give people if you see that situation with someone that probably has some real serious issues. There are some things they're dealing with. Um, but you know, sometimes I hear like, Hey, let's, let's manage this delivery of this diagnosis, you know, strategically and thoughtfully, because this is a young person that like is really attaching to these things. Yeah. Or is maybe really fragile and not ready to hear the diagnosis. That too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 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 and I like the way you, you described that, Andrew, that you said, you know, let's manage how we're going to do this. Again, you know, working in a wilderness therapy program with experienced clinicians gives you the opportunity to discuss the diagnosis and the testing before it gets to the client. Um, and, and the nice part about that is, is that we can have that conversation and we can present the testing in such a way that it becomes a very therapeutic situation versus somebody just grabbing a diagnosis to be victimized or you know i don't want to send somebody over the edge with the diagnosis either um you know if they're not ready to hear it um you know then we don't need to tell it to them you know my favorite example because this does happen quite a bit is somebody who maybe you know is an emerging borderline personality disorder well you know sometimes if you tell an emerging borderline personality disorder that that's what they have all of a sudden their borderline traits escalate because now they know what they are and they've done their research versus saying to them, you know what, I, you know, maybe we approach it as, and you know, you've got some traits consistent with a borderline personality disorder, but you've also got these mood disorders going on and, you know, they all kind of interact with each other. So we just, you know what, we're not really quite totally a hundred percent committed to this diagnosis just yet. So let's kind of work on it in treatment. So gently presenting it to them to try and move them forward. Um, I think is a very common practice and a very uh, therapeutically healthy practice as well. When you're working with autism spectrum disorder, when you're diagnosing that, how, how do you measure for severity? Like what's, what's that look like? Yeah. So again, spending time with the client, um, it's always, it's always the best way to kind of get a sense, but there are specific assessments and measures that, that sort through autism specific behavior. So within our traditional personality batteries that we do like the MMPI and the Millen, the, you know, you can start to get a sense if somebody's got some social challenges, um, but there are specific behavioral scales and we all like the ones that we like. I'm happy to provide names, but I think really it's, you know, the testers always gravitate for whatever reason. There's just ones that we like better than others. So I always like to do behavioral scales. Um, the ones that I use um, are actually normed on therapists answering the questions as well as parents. So it's nice. So you can get a couple of different data points, mm-hmm. um, you know, from different areas. So I always like to give it to the program and say, I want the therapist to complete it. Um, in your case, I'd ask for a field staff that knows the client well to complete one and have the parent complete it. So right there, I've got three pieces of information that I'm going to try and fancy where you come and triangulate, you know, make sure all three things tell me the same thing. And if not, why is that? Um, and then from there, there is the um, 
autism diagnostic observational scale measure. That's sort of the gold standard of doing an autism diagnosis. And really what that is, it's about 45 minutes to an hour, maybe an hour and a half, depending on the client, um, where you engage the client in a series of interview questions and um, just tasks like putting puzzles together, talking about problem solving. And through that interaction, you observe the behaviors. Um, what's their eye contact like? You know, um, what's the tone of their speech? Are they engaging in, you know, an echoed speech? Do they have any odd mannerisms? Are the mannerisms exaggerated, under-exaggerated, over-exaggerated? Are they totally flat? So in the context of doing all this, when I am, you know, looking at the client, I'm going through my mind of I'm, I'm doing this sort of checklist of things constantly about what behaviors am I looking at? And then um, are there things that I can do to see those behaviors even more clearly? So it is a, a, a normed data test, but there's a lot of qualitative or um, aspects to it where you're really observing and recording those observations. And so you walk away with a sense of, are they on the spectrum or are they not? And that test in particular actually gives you a, you know, a, a, on the spectrum and it gives you a range and that's kind of the gold standard. So, um, you know, uh, and we can talk about insurance a little bit too, but that's the test that if you're going to do an autism diagnosis that most insurance companies want and most school districts will want um, to verify the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. um, so Interesting. Um, how can you walk out of a testing situation and just say, listen, you know, we, we don't, there isn't a diagnosis here. We just know uh, that there's quirky behavior, right? And yeah. I, I mean, what's that look like from a tester standpoint? You know, I, I have to say that it's rare if I'm doing psych measures that we walk away with not at least a little bit of depression or anxiety, you know, gotcha. um, adjustment disorder, because they're in treatment. I mean, so yeah. if they're in treatment. Now, what, what typically happens, I call it um, over-virtuous reporting on the part of the client. So over-virtuous is just a nice way to say that they're not being real truthful. They're presenting themselves in an extremely positive light because many clients are dedicated to looking good. And it has nothing to do with the personality disorder. It's like, I don't want to be here, so I'm going to make sure I answer all these questions the way I think a healthy thinking person would answer them. And that's, that's actually clinical data in and of itself. Um, and so when those situations happen, I look to the family history, you know, the, the mm -hmm. parents are providing me, you know, what, what the client's been like through the course of their lifetime. And I'm looking for patterns of behavior, um, you know, and if I'm really unsure, you know, I, I will state that in the testing, but it just doesn't happen that often. Mm -hmm. What got you into it? So I, at one point in my career, worked in academics. So I was started out as an English teacher, became a school counselor, and then became a school administrator. Um, and as part of the school administrator, well, the school counselor, I got my master's in counseling. As part of the school administrator track, you have to declare a minor. And so I declared my minor in testing because I was fascinated with testing. Why would I look at testing from five different testers and the reports were so different. Like, why did this one do this? And why did this one do that? So I thought that was really interesting. But then in our world, whether it's education or mental health, it, it, to get numbers, to get hard data that describe um, the emotions of an individual, you know, we work in something that's just so, you know, we're dealing with, you know, affect, we're dealing with moods. But to get data, I just found really like intriguing and somewhat comforting in our 
our world of emotions within which we work, that there's data out there that can support our conclusions. Um, so when I was getting my principal certification, instead of minoring in uh, whatever else it was they offered, I don't even remember at the time, I decided to minor in testing. Um, and that kind of led me into doing testing in the school districts. And from there, I went into private practice and got a PhD. And here we are today talking. I went into private practice uh, 14 years ago and uh, haven't looked back since. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I, I yeah. think it's fascinating to no end. And in another life, I think I'd like to be a tester as well because, it, it, yeah, it's people. It's it's connecting with them on a very real level and in a very vulnerable way, right? And, yeah. you know, you can provide a lot of information that can be really helpful oftentimes. So. Yeah. You know, and the longer you do it, you start to really understand the nuances. So when I travel, if I were to come down to – you know, Costa Rica and work at your program, you know, I, I carry a big bag of testing as much as the airlines will let me carry on because it's not going underneath the plane because if they lose it, I'm, I'm out of work. Right. Um, <laughs> and uh, I always say, you know, if somebody books me for a longer period of testing, not that sort of wilderness traditional testing, about 70% of my tests each client gets, like they're pretty much the same, but it's that 20 to 30% where I'm starting to pick stuff out because I'm in the moment, I'm going, you know what, something's odd with the processing. Let me chase that down with this test. Or you know what, something came out in the intake that I wasn't aware of, you know, so I send down my standard battery of five or so psychological assessments, but you know, I'm talking to the parents, I'm like, oh, you know, just because they're a male doesn't mean they may not have an eating disorder based on the history that I'm getting. You know, so maybe I need to add in the eating disorders inventory. So I like having a little bit of variation. And that's kind of the other sort of piece of testing that I think gets sometimes lost is that, you know, it's, well, there is some consistency from tester to tester. There's also some variations that testers, not just myself, will pull out to try and really personalize it. How can people find you? Well, well, they can just talk to you. <laughs> um, um, so certainly just google russell hiking online i'm going to come up all over the place uh, my website is um www dot or dot ed hyphen p s y so ed dash shy so um dot com you can find me that way um ask your ed consultant your treatment program everybody knows how to get a hold of me but probably the easiest way is just to google me by name and i will pop up pretty fast Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. This is helpful. I learned a lot and uh, it'll be helpful to a lot more people. Hey guys, thanks again for joining this episode of In the Trenches with me, your host, Andrew Taylor. If you like what you're hearing, I would love it if you would subscribe to my podcast. You can find me on iTunes and SoundCloud. It's In the Trenches with Andrew Taylor. So thanks for joining and hope to see you next time.